Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you all. Sorry that I missed last week, but you were in Daniel Bunn's capable hands. I've been joking around with people this morning. I think it shows a little bit about how much God trusts Daniel. He gave him a sermon on about 10 minutes worth of notice. And then maybe some reflection on me, because God gave me two weeks. (laughs) Daniel, 10 minutes, me two weeks. So uh, I'm praying that I made good use of those two weeks, because this week we are jumping into a new series called Pursuit. So so let's get right after it. When reading the Bible, it becomes clear that God has been pursuing his people since the beginning of time. He has been the initiator, not us. The big question is, why? Why has God been pursuing his people since the beginning of time? And this morning, we're going to answer that question. To do that... We're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture, starting with Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. David, probably while tending sheep, reflected on all of creation, saying these words, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Now let's look at this passage a little bit closer because it's going to frame up the rest of our conversation this morning. Here David asks a question that's similar to our question. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. With his question, David is highlighting that God loves humans in a unique way compared to the rest of creation. He recognizes that there's something special about the bond between God and humans versus God and everything else. And then David comments on this special bond, this special unique way in which God has created and fashioned humans by saying this, You have made them a little lower than the angels. And crowned them with glory and honor. David knew his scriptures well. So while he's sitting back and reflecting on all of creation, perhaps when he's in that pasture with the stars out over his head, just being marveled at all things, he knew about how God created humans all the way back in Genesis. He also knew about the fall that would happen shortly thereafter. And he would have tracked that story further because he knew his scriptures well to realize that ever since the fall, that God had been in hot pursuit of his people. And David knows this story. And as he's reflecting on all of this, David kind of answers our question for this morning. Why has God been pursuing his people since the beginning of time? For love and relationship. But to understand how that can be true, we need to embrace these three things. That we are created out of love. We are created 
in God's image, and we are created for relationship. Now, to say that God has been pursuing his people since the beginning of time for love and relationship can be a bit misleading to us, especially living in an American culture that is very me-driven or me-oriented. So there's a couple dangers here. This might make us think that somehow God was deficient before he created us, that he needed us for some reason to complete him in this love relationship ordeal, that somehow perhaps even that God needed us to save him. So if we take this track too far, we get into trouble because we couldn't be further from the truth. Now, Thomas Aquinas put it this way. When we say that in him there is a procession of love, we show that God produced creatures, not because he needed them, nor because of any other extrinsic reason, but on account of the love of his own goodness. What Aquinas is saying is that God created us out of the outpouring and outflow of his love. That that's the love that we got, get to embrace. In other words, we are created out of love. We are created out of the outpouring of God's love. And when Brandy and I decided to have children, it was not because we had this big gaping hole in our relational needs. Uh, we were actually getting along quite well. Our jobs were doing great. We were both seeing success in our careers. We had just bought our dream home, and we were taking wonderful vacations together. In the evening, we made dinner together. We went on walks. It felt like we could date every night. It was wonderful. Since having kids, every dinner is a battle of the wills. We can't take elaborate vacations anymore because although my kids are small, They have quadrupled my food bill. I don't know how this has happened, but they have quadrupled my food bill. And our walks, they have turned into chasing my toddler on her tricycle down the street to make sure that she doesn't get hit by a car. All of my life changed. Come to think of it, why did we have children? (laughs) What were we thinking? Uh, I'm just kidding. We had children because we wanted to share our love with a set of humans that we could not have shared our love with in this way with anyone else. Something special, something unique. And John tells us in 1 John 4, 16, that God is love. He doesn't just love perfectly. He's not just the perfect expression of love. God is love itself. So it only makes sense that God would want to share that love with someone else. If the one that is love exists, which is God, then Brandy and me, imperfectly loving, not being love itself for sure, and in our imperfect love, desire to share our unique love with something special, how much more so is the being who is love going to be compelled to share his love in a special way with something else? God wanted to share his love with us. So God created humans. Genesis 1.27 describes our creation this way. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. We are created in God's image. Now, have you ever wondered 
why God in all of his creativity decided to make humans modeled off of something else. Have you ever wondered this? I've wondered this. He created some beautiful things like sunsets, oceans, mountains. He created some interesting things like photosynthesis, gravity, space. He created some just downright strange things like Allison's llama from weeks ago. With all of his creativity, why create something that resembles himself? God could have made us however he wanted to. And we've seen some bizarre looking things in creation. And I think there are for a few different reasons. First, if you had an infinite amount of power and knowledge and were love itself, and you wanted to express that love in some sort of created being, I think the best thing that you could do is to express that love and make it look like yourself. There would be no greater honor to dispose on something. So being created in the image of God is really itself an act of love. If I could create anything that I wanted to, and I had the power to do that from scratch, and I am the most supreme being, most all-powerful, most loving, the greatest thing in the planet, which God is, and I wanted to create something unique and special, the best thing I could do for it is make it like me. That would be the very best. And so God says, I'm going to give the pinnacle of creation, humans, my image. Because it's the very best thing that I could hand them. So he does that as an act of divine love. The second, being created in the image of God is an act of divine self-disclosure. What I mean by that is it's God's way of revealing himself to all of creation. One scholar puts it this way, a human being is made like God so that God can communicate himself to people. He gave people ears to show that he hears the cry of the afflicted and eyes to show that he sees the plight of the pitiful. Now we cannot definitively say all of the ways in which we are created like God. Perhaps we kind of look like God. Perhaps we have emotions that are similar to God's. Maybe we're even made in relationship in some of the same way that the Trinity is. Maybe it's a mixture of all of these different things or how we're created like God. But one thing is for certain. As we are created in his image, he did so that we would be a reflection of him to all of creation, including ourselves. By this I mean we are at our best when we are loved and when we love. Because when we love, we reflect God to all of creation. So when we love, when I love something else, I am reflecting God's own love to whatever that thing is. And that leads me to the third reason for why God created us in his image. Purpose. Understanding that we are made in the image of God is essential for understanding our identity and purpose. Emil Bruner put it like this, The most powerful of all spiritual forces is man's view of himself. The way in which he understands his nature and his destiny. Indeed, it is the one force which determines all the others which influence human life. You know, we are dangerous when we lose our sense 
of purposefulness. It can lead us into what our own Dr. Joe Scruggs talks about as the dark night of the soul. We begin to question God. And then we get angry with God. And then we feel hurt by God. That's kind of our progression. We question God, get angry with God, feel hurt by God. And when we feel hurt by God, that's when we become very dangerous. Because hurt people hurt people. Can you say that with me? Hurt people hurt people. Confession time. Don't worry, it's nothing absolutely crazy. But there are times in my current life season where I wrestle with purposefulness. My evenings are filled with poopy diapers. Establishing rules and boundaries for my kids. Trying to get them to eat something. Anything. It doesn't even have to be healthy anymore. Just, just put something in your mouth. Put it in your tummy. Anything. Everything for dinner time is a fight. Cleaning my house up for the 100th time. I don't know how they find all of the toys that I hide, but they keep coming back, regardless of where I put them, and then getting everyone showered and dressed for bed. It sometimes feels like my life is on rinse, repeat, over and over again. It's exhausting. It's mundane. Maybe you're in that life season with me too. Or maybe you're a recent empty nester, and you remember the footsteps running down the hallway. And you remember the joy of raising children. And that gave your life a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose. And all of a sudden, they're in college. And they're out of the house. And you feel like now your days are filled with things that just don't seem like they matter anymore. Not at least in the same way. Or if you've been recently retired, you can go through the same type of thing. Where you used to be pushing your industry forward. Your team or your company needed you. They relied on you. And that gave you a sense of purpose and worth. And then one day when you retire, it's all gone. And you're like, wow, this thing that has been a major factor in my life is all of a sudden just not there. And I feel like I'm doing meaningless things over and over again. Maybe you're in a situation where you've been praying to God for Mr. or Mrs. Wright for what seems like forever. And you want to start a family and you want to have kids and you want all these things. And yet it seems like God, for whatever reason, is just not answering those prayers. And you feel like you're just stuck in this cycle that can, keeps repeating itself. We all have these types of seasons, whether it's one of the ones I outlined or something else and entirely different. We all enter a season where we feel like we get into this long hallway, right? There's hundreds of doors in the hallway and all of them are locked. And in order to get out of the hallway, we keep trying every door that we know how to to get out of this kind of life season that we're in and they're all locked. And we keep feeling like we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it can feel mundane. It can feel exhausting. But friends, the opportunity is in the mundane. In those seasons, we need to start looking for where we might be able to reflect God in the mundane of our day to day. Maybe that's with our spouse. Maybe that's with our children. Maybe that's with our job. Maybe that's with our neighbor down the street. Maybe that's in getting involved in a local mission outreach in the community. If that's the case, Amy Senea has a lot of ideas for you. So get in touch with her. All, I say all of that to say this. 
God has created us to be stewards of the mundane, reflecting light and purpose into the dark and the chaos. Sometimes when we get into this life season, we feel like, oh my goodness, there's nothing that I can do that matters or that's worthwhile. But actually, those are the ordinary moments that God has called us to reflect his very image into. These are not the seasons that are, need to be unlocked and we need to get out of the hallway. In fact, what we need is to be the light in the hallway. What we need is to be the order in the chaos. What we need is to be reflecting the image of God in the day-to-day mundane that we're trying to get out of and wish we could escape because that's exactly where God can use us most. And he's gifted us for that very purpose. Now, one more quick word on being made in God's image. God made us in his image. Let us not make God in our image. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we reduce God down to what we can understand or comprehend, which makes sense uh, because we can only understand and comprehend, right? But we can understand and comprehend. Now, where this gets in trouble is that we'll put God into our own little intellectual box. And then when God tells us no through his words or through a different set of life experiences that we're going through, and we realize God's saying no, we're tempted not to listen to him. Because I'm smarter than God. If he would just listen to me and what I would like to do and get with the program here, then everything would be okay. And instead of listening to no, we push things into our direction. Now, I have a three-year-old little girl who does the same type of thing. Toddlers ask this infamous question. What question do they ask? Do you know? Why? Exactly. My toddler asks me why a hundred times a day. Well, the other day, I'm sitting in my chair on the opposite side of my living room. I watch my three-year-old girl, who I thought was out of this season, I thought we were done with this, who reaches her finger to touch the electrical plug, or not plug, outlet. And I, to my horror, I realize that somehow the little protector isn't in there. So she has free reign to put her finger into an electrical outlet. So I sit up and I tell my daughter, no, don't touch that. She responds with what? Why? And so I realize that I'm not going to be able to rely on Addison moving away from the outlet. So I get up. Uh, I'm trying to get to the other end of the room as quickly as I can. So as I get up, I'm answering her question. Why? Because there's electric in there and it can hurt you very badly. And then she asks me, why? And puts her finger even closer. So now I'm at a dead sprint. I didn't realize I could move this fast still. Uh, 4, 3, 40 time going to my daughter uh, like a football player. Scoop her up to grab her. Sit down and try to have like, you know, an emotionally differentiated conversation with my three-year-old without erupting and exploding on when daddy says, no, you need, you need to listen. But my daughter put herself in grave danger because she thought she was smarter than me. She thought she understood the dangers. She thought she understood better than dad. We do this with God all the time when we put him into our own intellectual box. So he can be saying no to save us a ton of heartache. He could be saying no because he has a different plan for us and we'd be more useful to him and get more joy for ourselves if we were doing something different. And so when we make God and fashion him into our own intellectual box or make him into our own image instead of realizing that we were created in his image, then we put ourselves in grave danger just like my daughter put herself 
in grave danger. Now, I want to look at something that might be a little technical, but I have faith that you're going to stick with me. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, 4. It'll be up on the screen for you. And it says this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now that doesn't seem like much. Then it goes on to describe the creation of Adam and Eve. Didn't we already have a creation account in Genesis chapter 1? Why would the author of Genesis find it relevant to give us two creation accounts? Genesis chapter 1 and then Genesis chapter 2. The author is actually communicating something very important to us. And to figure out what that is, we have to realize that Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 is actually a poetic introduction to all of the rest of the Bible. From Genesis chapter 2 4 all the way through to Revelation 22. If you look at it, we're brought down from 30,000 feet in Genesis 1 to ground level in Genesis 2. And the story starts on the creation of humans, and it doesn't stop. There's not a part where that narrative kind of closes itself off. It goes all the way through the rest of Scripture. And this is significant because it answers the question that David asked in Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? In other words, David's saying, God, why did you make me? In all of this stuff that I see, in all of this beauty, why me? And one biblical theologian put it this way. What is clear in Genesis 1 is that creation is understood, not as a self-contained autonomous act, but in closest connection with redemption. Here's where it gets really good. The goal of creation was God's dwelling with his people, which was a vision of the future, not a return to the past. What Brevard Childs is saying here is that redemption was hardwired into the very act of creation. God's vision has always been that he would be our God and that we would be his people. This is the message that John communicates to us in Revelation 21.3. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Friends, we were created for relationship. Before time began, God knew because he knows all things and can see all things and he's not trapped by time the way that we are, is that human beings would sin. He knew this. He knew that he had to impose himself as Emmanuel into the middle of all creation and take on the penalty of sin and death himself if he were to truly have a relationship with humans. So that those united to Christ might be enveloped in God's loving embrace for all eternity. I say all of that to set up to saying this. God's pursuit of his people is so intense that he does not rest until we find rest in him. I'm going to say that again. God's pursuit of his people is so intense that he does not rest until his people find rest in him. Now, if you came this morning feeling a bit run down, perhaps exhausted from the holidays, 
maybe worn out by the mundane day-to-day of everyday life, if you've been feeling like you're trapped in that hallway and you just can't give, get out, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that God loves you. He loves you so very much. To prove his love for you, he honored you in the greatest way that he knew how. He made you in his own likeness, in his own image. He said, I love you so much. There's not a being on the planet or in the world that is bigger or better or greater than me. So I love you and I will make you like me because there could be no other better way to make you. And then, as he's exhaling and breathing out these stars and fixing universes into place and separating ground from water and doing this beautiful creation unfolding at his whim and his desire, he says, I love you so much that I'm not going to get into the mess of the stewardship of this. I'm not going to micromanage this creation. I'm calling you to reflect me to everything that I've made. I'm putting you in charge. I'm putting you in charge of the greatest thing that I have ever made. And I'm calling you to love it the way that I love you. There is no greater purpose than this. So if you've been feeling lost or wandering or alone, that God has made you and fashioned you with such honor, he made you like him. And then he gave you the most important job in the world, caring for his most prized and precious possession. It's amazing. That's astounding that his love is that big, that his love is that great for us. But even more than that, he longs and desires for a deep relationship with you. He wants to love on you and hug on you for all eternity to the point where he says, look, I will not rest until I have pursued you with everything I have, wrapped you in my arms, and have never let go from now forevermore. That's amazing love. That's incomprehensible love awe-inspiring love. This year, let's commit ourselves to carving out a little bit more time for the one who has loved us with everything that he has so that we might return the praise, glory, and honor that he deserves and so that others might come to know the unquestionable quenchable love that God offers his creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love is overwhelming. That you would take on flesh, that you would die in our place. Lord, it's amazing. Give us a desire to love you with our whole hearts because you first loved us. 
and create in us such a movement of our heart that we would want everyone to know and come to find to know the love that you have for them so that together we might be embraced for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.